sense in which, yeah, I'd say, you know what, uh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, we are, we're handing out candy, we're not handing out righteousness. But there's another sense in which the church has done this for years. Uh, if we go back into the book of Acts and you look at how the church acted and manifested itself, it served people's needs, no strings attached. Uh, one of my heroes, in fact, in the faith is a guy by the name of St. Patrick. We tend to you know, think of him, you know, catering to leprechauns. Well, uh, it's, the, it's the wrong image. It's a warrior for Jesus Christ. And it's unfortunate that the Catholic Church honestly did not listen to him. He tried to teach him this is what it means to reach out to the world. He would enter into a, a town and build a hospital uh, for the sick and the broken and said, you come in, we'll cater to your needs, we'll serve you no matter what. Uh, we, we ask nothing of you. Some would come, they'd receive care and walk away. Many said, why did you do this? And the people of the community would say, because we have been served by our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's our desire to serve you. No strings attached. Will you tell me more about this Savior? We will tell you more about this Savior. We do follow-ups on all the events that we do, and uh, it's part of what, what I'm talking about here is there's a sense in my mind that we're under a call of God to reach out into this community. In the five years I've been here, five plus, now going on six years. Um, my, my observation is, I think our, our community, our little island, is, is not different than the rest of the world. I think more and more we see signs of uh, folks who have moved very far away from um, the Word of God. And so I do have that sense of urgency, and, and as a church, we're asking the question, what, what do we do to, to reach out to people, and how, how do we do it? Well, um, this scripture, Romans 11 says, part of the way we reach out is through <clears throat> using the gifts that God has given to us. I love this line, Romans 12, 6 says, let us use them. God has given us gifts, let us use them, right? Um, it's kind of like the coach on the sideline yesterday. God has given us gifts, let us, let us uh, use them. Unfortunately, Ohio State used their gifts more so than we used our gifts uh, by about five times, but uh, that's for another day. Are we using our gifts? You know, are we using our gifts? If, if Jesus Christ is looking at a, um, uh, a church like this, are we, in fact, using the gifts that God has given to us? Um, there are a number of gifts that, that are going to be kind of spelled out for us. And before we look at them, I, I kind of picture it this way. Uh, all of us in this room, we have different gifts. We do. Each one of us, appropriately so. In fact, that's, that's the point. He says, don't consider yourself more important than, than, than other people, right? Come together. You're going to use your gifts together, that we are members of one body. We're members of one another. I kind of, the picture in my mind is, have you ever, have you ever watched a dog, a dog walker with lots of dogs on their chains? Have you ever watched that? Um, it, it's a, <clears throat> to me, that's like an athletic feat. Uh, you have somebody walking down the street with like eight, nine dogs on leashes, and they're all going together. If I had eight or nine dogs, it would be bad. Let's just put it that way. It would be a train wreck, right? <clears throat> well, if you think about it, can you harness all the gifts and let them pull together in one direction? And uh, that's, that's the point that um, Paul is trying to make to the church in Rome, is we're, we're, there's a page turning in history. 
and that page is we're, we're moving away from just going to the lost house of Israel and we're being called to go out into the world amongst Gentiles. This is not going to be easy. It's going to take all of our gifts and it's going to take pulling together uh, in one direction. And so he begins now to list these gifts and I'll, I'll take you back through these. Uh, I think we got one of them last week, but we'll take you back through them because I want you to hear them, but I want you to think a little bit to yourself. Is that something that God has given me? Is it a gift that God has given me? And if it is, then I'm going to ask this question. How are you using that gift to pull together to, to, in one direction towards the aim? There's always one aim. <clears throat> and one aim is how do we save souls for Jesus Christ? How are we using our gifts collectively to save souls? Um, one last note. These, this is not the only place in the Bible where gifts are listed. There are, are really three different, uh, what we would call gift passages. One in Ephesians chapter 4, the other in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, each of them is a little bit different. I like this one because it really seems to hit upon many of, of the gifts that you do see uh, alive in, in a church today. Let, let's go through them. Um, so let's, let's, let's just start you on, on verse number 6. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now he enters in. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. We talked about this last week. So we won't spend a lot of time on it. But what is prophecy? Um, we, we, you know, there's really two sides to the coin of prophecy. Uh, one of them is, is foretelling. One of them is foretelling. Uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, when we're reading... You know, the words of an Isaiah. We're listening to a person who, in his time, was a foreteller. He was telling the nation of Israel, this is what God is getting ready to do. His news was not good news. His news was, God is getting ready to flatten you like a pancake. And he's going to use a pagan king to do that. And you all will become slaves under that pagan king. You know what the people thought of Isaiah? False prophet. That's what they thought. You're a false prophet. What you're saying doesn't make sense. We're the called nation of Israel. We, we, are, the, we, we are the receptors of the covenant. We're the retainers of the, of the law of God. There's no way you can be right. We will never be slaves to some pagan community like Babylon. Guess what? Boom. Israel is flattened and they become slaves. And all of a sudden, maybe we ought to go back and read Isaiah's words. Because now they actually seem to make sense. Are there foretellers in our world today? Are there prophets in the sense of, I want to talk to you about what God is getting ready to do? I think there are. You know, in fact, um, I remember sitting in a seminary class in Fort Wayne. We had gone to visit and um, having a, a prof stand up and say, well, when you look at the gift chapters of the scripture, uh, and you, if you could make a list of all the gifts, there are some that will go away. And he took several of them and wanted them to go away. Uh, speaking in tongues. So, uh, no, that, that gift's no longer present. That's gone away. Uh, the gift of, of healing. No, that's no longer present. That's gone away. I don't agree with that. I, I think when you look at the, the gifts that are listed in the scripture, I think all of them, uh, are present in the church today. Globally, uh, when you look at it globally, uh, there's no question in my mind, but there are people who God has given a gift of foretelling. There's a little sense in which we become foretellers 
slash foretellers when we open up a little book called the book of Revelation. Right? Do you want to know what's going to happen in our world? I can tell you. I mean, we really can. I can foretell you what is going to happen. In fact, a lot of what we're seeing right now, it's not coincidental. And by the way, I really hate to embarrass the, the governor of California because he's a great man. I'm sure he is. But it's not global warming. And if it is global warming, let me just tell you what. God is using it in a mighty way because here's what it is. It's God. And he's been shouting it for, for now centuries. At the top of his lungs, I'm going to flatten this earth. I'm going to destroy all of it. And there are some signs that I'm coming back. And by the way, if you want to see those signs, read the newspaper today. They're in it. All over it. And what God is saying is we can foretell what is getting ready to happen. And yes, there are a lot of people in our world that will look at us like the people looked at Isaiah. And so you people are nuts. You're just nutcases. I'm like, no, the half a time is coming. And you will not like it when it comes. In fact, no one will. We will all wish to God we were in hell, right? Because that's what it will feel like. It will feel like hell on, on earth. This, what we're experiencing, this COVID thing, is, is like a cakewalk, honestly, compared to what I believe will, will come yet in that uh, origination of the half a time. So prophets can be foretellers, they can be foretellers. In other words, I'm taking a scripture and I'm applying it to your life in a way that gives you direction or gives you a sense of peace or, or, or gives you a sense of, of getting kicked in the butt. Remember, the prophets did that. Their job was to do what? To comfort. What, guys? Prophet has two jobs. Comfort the afflicted, right? I don't feel good. My life's not very good. Here's a word from God for you. <gasps> Thank you. Hope. Comfort the afflicted. What was their other job? <laughs> Afflict the comfortable, right? Uh, which of the two do I think the, the prophets are doing today? Afflicting the comfortable. In, in, our, in our world, hey, I'm pretty comfortable the way the things are. You better, you better, keep, hey, we be, uh, better keep that stock market going the direction that it's going, right? We, that, that's what we need to have happen. We better keep these things in place. We better keep this order in place. Guess what the prophet says? God loves to afflict the comfortable. And his word does that. About the time I get comfortable, I open up the Bible. And all of a sudden I start reading it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm like, what's that word? What's that calling me to do? I don't want to do that. What's, it, what's this saying to me? I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't, want, I don't like that. God says, I don't care if you like it. This is my word. I'm going to afflict you with it. And he afflicts us because he loves us. You, I can't leave you in that place of death. And uh, so prophets really play, I think, a significant role in, in the church today. Uh, even this gentleman that sent this out, you know, I, I don't mind that you send a word like that to me. Just come talk to me. And, uh, and we'll talk about it because there's a sense in which, yeah, I mean, handing out candies, handing out candies. There's another sense in which, no, wait a minute. What are we trying to do? We have one one goal, and by the way, when people inside the church try to tear the church apart, it's not good. Or work together, pull it together. Second one is serving. Okay, um, how many of you have ever just known someone who uh, has taken you in in a way that they anticipate your needs, they recognize your hurts, they don't settle for your superficial "How are you doing? I'm doing fine." They don't settle for that. 
because their aim is to serve serve you at a level deeper deeper than the the surface. You, you, you probably all of us know someone in our lives who who wears that role of servant. The Greek word underneath this is diakona, which um, we kind of derive the diaconate from. Uh, the diaconates were were servants. If you remember back in that time of Acts, um, when the church was was just born, there comes this moment where uh, the apostles are they have their hands full, and there's there's a need in the church on behalf of a group of widows that are needing to be fed on a regular basis, and uh, the apostles can't keep up with it all, and so they're they're told appoint seven others who will take on the role of serving so that you can continue your role, apostles, of praying and bringing the word of God to people. And to me, that's what a servant does. A servant anticipates people's needs at a level deeper than uh, superficial. There's a lot of you that are servants in this room. And um, so I'm not picking on any just one person, but you know, there's, there's days I'll see I'll see Brother Fritz out there in the middle of a summer heat uh, with that weed whacker going down, going down the, um, the ditch. The ditch. You know what that is? That's a servant. Uh, when most of us are sleeping and we have six inches of snow on the ground, uh, who's climbed up in the tractor and started it up in the morning? Brother Fritz. And uh, that driveway is getting plowed out early in the morning, you know what that is? That's a gift. That's a gift of, of servanthood. And, and so what I'm saying to you is ser servants tend to be behind the scenes. Um, in fact, they kind of like being behind the scenes. You don't need to notice me. I, I, don't, need any, I don't need any accolades. But, but what they do is they, they, they serve the church in a way and the needs of people in a way that really uh, uh, imitates uh, our, our Lord Himself. Some of you have that gift. Teaching. The gift of teaching. One of my favorite speakers, um, John Maxwell, uh, he used to say, he'd say, now, he'd say, there's, there's, there's a difference between people who have a PhD and those who don't. He'd say, people who have a PhD have the gift of taking something simple and making it so complex <laughs> no one can understand it. Is that true? Oh my gosh. There are books I'll read. I'll say, Ann, let me read you a paragraph. She says, what did that say? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. God help the person who wrote it. You know, I mean, I don't know. John Maxwell would say, he says, I don't have that gift. I don't have the gift of a PhD. He says, but I, I have the gift of taking something that's complex and making it simple. Can you imagine being a non-Christian and somebody hands you a Bible? Here, read this. What is it? And you, you open it up and it has words on the top of the page. Habakkuk. Um, job. What's a job? Is this a, I got to get a job? What kind of a, what kind of a book is this thing? Uh, Hezekiah. What is, what is that? What is it? Who's a Hezekiah? Uh, and you start, what is, what is in Ephesians? I, I remember the first class I ever taught. I was out of seminary. I had all this stuff in my head. And you're going to teach this adult instruction class. I got in the class. I had all these notes prepared. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a great day. And I'm like, okay, everybody turn to the book of Ephesians. First hand goes up. This guy looks at me and he goes, what's an Ephesian? 
And I'm like, holy smokes. I better throw all of these notes away and start back at square number one. You didn't know what an Ephesian was, right? Imagine somebody handing you a Bible. There's 66 books, unless you're Catholic, then you get a few extras. Uh, and what am I supposed to do with these? And by the way, who wrote them? And why did they write them? And what do they have to do with my life? Teachers are able to take the scriptures and say, look, they're not confusing. They're not. Let me, let me take, take you on a little journey. And uh, let, let's kind of get up above this thing and look down at it and understand what this thing called the Bible is, the book of books is. And let's understand that there's just one subject in it. There's not five, there's not four, there's not three, there's one. And it's Jesus Christ. And every single line of this book will take you to Him if you let it. You mean Habakkuk? Yes. You're, you're saying the Psalms the Psalms. All of them will take you to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have the gift of, of teaching, and um, if you have that gift, or is it being put to work today? You have the ability to take the scriptures and make them simple enough that a person can say, oh, that's what this Bible is. That's what this book is about. Uh, by the way, I, I, just, I discovered this um, many, many years ago in ministry on a Christmas Eve. Um, I had uh, a gentleman who had come to church and uh, was kind of waiting after Christmas Eve services to talk. And I, I thought to myself, man, uh, this was a great night. This was, I was at Messiah and Lincoln. I think we, I forget how many, just a huge Christmas Eve night. And, you know, preachers, as preachers are apt to do, are like, yeah, well, look, at, look at this. We had a lot of people in church. And, and God had a whole different thing uh, planned for me that night. And I'm, I'm glad He did. Um, this guy... I looked at him. It was getting late. I said, well, what, thank you for coming to our, our Christmas Eve service. He goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he says, um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm hurting right now. So what, what happened? Well, my, my wife's divorcing me. And uh, I'm afraid that I'll never get to see my children again. I said, oh, it's Christmas and you're feeling like you'll never get to see your children again. He says, that's right. I said, do you, do you have a Bible? I used to. He said, I, I had one my mom gave to me when I was a little kid. She'd take me to church and she'd leave me off and they'd, she'd go somewhere and, and I had a Bible, but I, I don't have one today. I said, do you know anything about the Bible? No, not really. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, um, you know what, an, an adult instruction class isn't going to help this man. Because you're going to put him in there, and you're going to have all kinds of, do you know the six chief parts of the catechism, and here's what baptism is, it's blah, 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 blah. That's what it would sound like to him. I said, somebody needs to take a journey through the Bible with this guy who can teach you can show them this is who Jesus is. This is what He came here for. This is who you are. This is where you, this is how you find. make it simple for Him. And so I, I promised him. I said, you know what? Um, his name was Rubric. I said, Rubric, well, I'm going to give you a call here. Probably, probably not tomorrow's Christmas Day, but I'll give you a call this week, and uh, I'm going to have somebody who will just take you through uh, the Bible and show you who Jesus is. And Rubric said that would be good. And I said, we're going to pray tonight that your, your wife will have a, a soft heart, that you'll be able to see your children again. And he wept. I wept with him.
I said, that's, I mean, what is Christmas? I'm praying for this guy to just have another shot at seeing his kids. I, I called multiple men uh, in our church that next week. I said, would you be, I said, I met Rubric. Here's a story. Would you be willing to just show him who Jesus is? And every man I called said, uh, Pastor, I'll, I'd love to help. I don't think I could. I don't think I could do that. And they were serious. It wasn't, they didn't want to. So I don't think I could do that. And I said, boy, something's got to change in the church. Something has to change. God puts these gifts in the church. So that what? So that we can take rubric and take, you know, that person that drove by and picked up Reese's Pieces yesterday, they don't know Jesus Christ, can help that person know who Jesus Christ is. And, and I do believe that God puts these gifts of teaching into the church that you can take the Bible and make it simple enough for folks to understand it so that they, they can walk together with, with the body of Jesus Christ. And it's desperate. This, there's a, to me, this sense of urgency, I look at that word, I'm like, oh my goodness. We, we have today so many in our world who, honestly, if you stopped them on the street and said, do you know who, do you know who Noah was? No. Do you, do you know this? Have you ever heard the story of, of Moses and the Ten Commandments? No? Oh my goodness. Do you, do you, know, the, do you, do you know the story of the, the table and Jesus and he breaks? Nope. They don't know it. And so I think this is something that if you have this gift, uh, God says, I want it used in my church because it is desperately in need in our, in our world today that I can tell you. Uh, exhortation. Um, you know, I used to actually misunderstand this word, exhort. Sounds like what? Exhort. It sounds like a horse going, right? I'll exhort you. Um, does it sound good? Like if you met somebody and say, hey, hit me with a little exhortation, right? I, I just need a good exhortating today, right? Um, I'll tell you what, guys. Some of you guys do need a little exhortating from your wives, and they'll be glad to give it to you, too, by the way. <laughs> um, what is exhortation? Well, it's not what it sounds like. The, the actual Greek term here is parakalao, and you've heard us use this phrase many, many times in this class. Para means towards, kaleo means your call. And so what an exhortator is able to do is to help you recognize that you've gotten away from the calling that God has given to you. And they're not afraid to tell you that. But they'll do it with, with a velvet hammer. They're not there to hurt you. They're there to help you. But an exhorter is that person who has the gift of being able to say, hey, look, uh, Abraham, God's put a calling on you and you've kind of gotten away from it. You're, you're dabbling over here, doing this. God's calling you back. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Um, I think exhorters, again, are very much necessary in the church because it doesn't take long before human beings get caught up in this world and all of a sudden we're saying yes to a lot of things and we're saying no to God. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my kids need to be in that. Oh, they need to be in that. Oh, they need to be in that. My kids will tell me. My kids will tell me. Oh my goodness, is it difficult to stay available to God? 
Yes, it is a very difficult. Why? The world is claiming more and more and more and more and more of us. And all of a sudden, the preacher stands up in front of you and says, Hey, you know what? God put a call on you to save souls. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is out being an evangelist. But it means you use your gifts. You have a call on you. I have a call? I don't have a call. No, the preacher has a call. We've gotten so absorbed into the world. And so again, does the, does the church, does the body need people who can exhort? Absolutely. Uh, it's essential to the church's health that we have people who are able to tap one another on the shoulder. One of the things I like about both our men's and our women's ministries, both our men's and our women's ministries, is when you get into a group with another group of guys or another group of gals, you're going to do so around a word that is exhortative. That will say to you, what have you been doing? Are you living your calling out with your children? Are you living your calling out in your marriage? How are you living your calling out in your work? And in fact, when we form those groups, here's what we do. We permission the people who are leading the group. Exhort one another. Keep each other what? Accountable. To, to what? To the calling that God has given to you. Push on each other. So I, I think that, again, this gift, parakaleo, helping people reclaim the calling that God has put on them. Recognize that if I really want to find purpose and meaning in my life, I can't do that outside of the calling that God has given me. I, I won't find it outside of that calling. And so, uh, exhortation, tremendously important gift. Generosity. Uh, I, I always love this. This is a true story. This little church um, in the Houston area uh, had a had a guest uh, one Sunday. They didn't they didn't know the guest was a NFL football player, and uh, the the preacher stood up and he says, "We're going to try um, we're going to try to build a basketball court for our youth." Uh, this was in a depressed area in Houston, uh, and he says, "We know that a lot of the boys are getting in trouble because after school they they don't have a place to go. We're going to build a basketball court." And our goal is to get boys off of the street and doing something that's, that's healthy and good. And could you, if you give a little bit of extra money, we're going to put that towards that basketball court. And uh, so they, they got, they got the, the offering and they started to count it after church services were over. And they were counting. And, uh, and this is a true story. You know, we got a dollar here. We got 50 cents here. We got 25 cents here. We got $25,000. <laughs> $25,000 that NFL player is a Christian and he sat there and he said you know what $25,000 to me that's I, I need to do that I'm going to do that today put it in that plate and they just about fell over because it more than built that basketball court and uh, to me generosity is that unexpected sense in which a person says I, I release what God has given to me believing that there's no possible way for me to give more than God will give back to me and they believe that <clears throat> watch this God I'm releasing this not to show you anything not to prove anything but because the, the, the house of God needs it and we're going to put it to work and then they, they'll say guess what I always discover you cannot outdo God you can't outgive him and uh, again and again and again, uh, people of generosity, uh, this church has many of them, stand up and say, how do we release what God has given us and discover again and again how God brings back uh, to us. Um, 
the gift of being able to, to lead uh, is another gift that uh, I think is almost troublesome to me in the church. Uh, I've always said you've got, you've got three kinds of people in a church. You've got people who uh, really, let's call them our visioners. They, they give you a vision. You've got people that are, are managers. They can help take that vision and help a group of people manage that particular part of the vision. You have doers, people who say, I, I don't want to think about any, I don't want to lead anything, I don't want to manage any people, just let me go do it. Let me do it. In a church, typically we would say about 80% fall into the just do it category. Amen, isn't that true? We don't, we don't, I came to church, don't, I don't want to think about a lot of things. Tell me, you want coffee? Tell me where the pots are, how to make it, where the cups are, I'll get it done. I'm a servant, I'll, I'll do that, okay? Managers, okay, we're going to try to get this done, but we, we need to, we've got to have a, like a, a little bit of a system for doing hospitality on Sunday morning. How would you like to do that? No. Hmm. Why? Then I'm responsible for it. People don't show up, and then, I, then what am I going to do? Pe people do the coffee wrong. They make the coffee wrong. <laughs> they make that wimpy Lutheran coffee. We want Baptist coffee. For goodness sakes, baptize the beans. All right? Don't sprinkle them. Baptize them. <clears throat> what am I going to do with those people? Managers. What this is talking about, I believe, is that group of people who are willing to say, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the butt. Because people won't show up, and they will make the coffee wrong. But you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna, it'll be all right. We're gonna make it through those days, and uh, we're gonna pull together. Because if we don't have leaders who are leading aspects uh, that are going on inside of the church and outside of the church, you can, you cannot function well. Leaders, and then finally, uh, let me point out this one: acts of mercy. Acts of mercy. This is the gift of being able to serve people when the world's turned upside down, when it's gone bust, and I, my house has been destroyed, uh, my marriage has been destroyed, uh, my kids have gone through hell and I don't know what to do. And a person who has that gift of mercy is able to step in and say, I'll walk with you through this. I'll walk with you through this. And they don't just say, I'll pray for you. Listen, they don't say, I'll pray for you. And good luck and goodbye. I, I got to go get brunch. No, they stop and they say, I will walk through this with you. Acts of mercy. Who amongst you has acts of mercy? I want to close with one last thought. How many gifts are there? How many did I just go through? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What's Jesus' number? Seven. Isn't it interesting that all the gifts are meant to do exactly what the Bible does? All roads lead to one place, Jesus Christ. It's the point of the gifts. The point is not to just go about being generous or just go about exhorting. The point of it is how do we pull together in a way that serves people coming to know Jesus Christ. It's about souls. Let's close with prayer. Lord, as we uh, close out today, I thank you for these gifts you place inside the church. Let those words ring out in our ears individually. Let us use them. Lord God, uh, this church is filled with gifts. And I, I believe this, that if one church, one church in one community, Lord, pulled together with the gifts within it, 
it would make a tremendous, tremendous difference in our world. Lord, uh, let us be that church. Let us be that church, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. Amen. God's blessings on your week.